0: Two. One. Go.
1: Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers of Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi
2: McDonald. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can check us out on
0: Twitter at, at comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com.
1: And on Facebook, uh, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld.
0: A warning to our listeners. This is a family show, but there will be some discussion of human anatomy, <laughs> which is usually in underpants. So if you would like to stop listening at this point, you can. It is a comic. Yeah. Yeah. If, <laughs> if you do not
2: want to hear people talking about... Human genitals, please yeah, tune out
1: right now. Sorry. Right. There you go. All right, this week on More to Come. Uh, SBX, that's the Small Press Expo 2018, the Amazon Comicsology Backlash, and reassessing uh, our crumb. And uh, we're going to take a look at Batman's genitals, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh,
1: uh, so to speak. All right, SBX 2018. Uh, small Press. SBX is no small matter. Yeah. Uh look uh, uh what are the long running this is the 24th um uh annual SPX and actually um uh they'll be selling their uh, you know
2: 25th are having a gala 25th next year. next year with a yeah. exhibit on indie comics at the yep. Library at the, of Congress yes, co-sponsored be. by SPX really is, amazing. But this is
1: also uh SPX that's post the uh, um, uh forming the legal aid fund uh, for the 11 defendants in the defamation uh, mm-hmm. suit. Um, uh, you know, that was certainly in the air. But look, once again, it was a great show, uh, uh, lots of wonderful artists. Um, uh, I was there on Saturday. Uh, I discovered some really terrific Please, I mean, I thought the bipolar panel with Ellen Forney, uh, Kyler Roberts, and, and this really terrific uh, young man, uh, Lawrence Lindell. Uh, I thought it was really terrific. I mean, there really is a, a kind of a burgeoning category dealing specifically with bipolar right uh but but this is part of the whole graphic well you know
2: calvin well i I saw the first half of that but then i ducked out to go to the uh trans narratives panel Mm -hmm. and uh you know both of them you know there are lines now to get in but i mean there's room there's room like the line will stretch all the way down the hall but you you usually could find a seat although it was pretty packed there at the bipolar so very so it is actually bipolar and it's not a pun
0: no no, no, no. there was okay, people
2: who have been diagnosed. Yes, no. absolutely. Well, diagnosed.
0: I, I will now say, wearing uh, my other hat as someone who works in the caring professions, that um, bipolar disorder is highly overrepresented in creative yeah. professions, including right. art and writing. So it is, I think, of a surprise to no one who has met comic creators or has met bipolar people that many comic creators are bipolar people. Right. And Alan Forney has, um, well, all three of them not only,
2: uh, you know, are bipolar, but have written extensively about it and... uh, you know, Ellen Forney's comic, uh, she's done two books about mm-hmm. it. One of them about discovering it, and the one about how to deal with it. Yes, uh, most recently. Very, yeah, most recently, very funny. Um, Rock Steady. Yeah, Rock Steady. And then,
1: um, you know, I love Kyla Roberts. <laughs> she's just, really true. Her stuff is fantastic, and she is... She's kind of fantastic herself. She's incredibly articulate and, and funny. Yeah,
2: and she, her <laughs> comics are really droll. I mean, they're actually kind of heartbreaking, because she has a, a child, and... You know, she's talking about being a parent while dealing with, um, you know, mental illness, and which is not easy. But yeah. it, but she just does it with such humor and with such she, it's really self, brilliant. Uh, yeah, And, and she's and,
1: diagnosed with MS now too, right? And that's oh, a part so of the that, comics narrative too, because yeah. they're essentially memoir comics, right? Right. Um, but she well, also takes you her know, her, her latest life.
2: book is Sunburning. She's published mostly by Koyama Press. It's Kyler K E I L E R Roberts. Yeah. I really can't recommend her stuff enough. Yeah. She's definitely one, always perennially on the the PWS. You know, yes. Like uh, Forecast. And if
1: I could just add, their most recent book is actually Chlorine Gardens. Oh,
2: you're right. Yes, you're and, right. Which is yes. just
1: out, and it's a fabulous book. Yes. <laughs> but Lawrence Lindell has, um, he's a really interesting guy, young black man. Uh, he's only done many comics, but his many comics are really wonderful, kind of powerful. Uh, he's bipolar, and he, he, you know, there's much discussion about the comic. Um, uh, I'm, what is this? I couldn't afford therapy, so I made this. And... He ta- and it's really just a forthright look at his problems and the social interaction around him and how people respond to him. And it's 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 a combination of being really heartbreaking and inspirational at the same time, uh, because he really takes charge of his own con- condition, and he uh, and he also indicts people around him for how you behave toward how people behave toward people with mental illness. So, Lawrence Lindell, go find his comics. I mean, go find the comics of all three of them, really. Uh, but um, there, there was more. <laughs> yeah, there was a
2: lot more. Yeah, well, I was starting. Was to, I was starting more. to say about the trans narratives panel, also, uh, which had Maya Kobabe, uh, Carter Manier, um L. Nichols, uh, the author of Flocks, and um, you know, I'm going to look it up because I don't want to forget it anyway. But you know, it's the same kind of yeah. thing where people just talk very frankly uh, about yes. their narratives, and you know, most of them do write uh, books that are mostly about their their transitions mm-hmm. or, you know, about their, their sure. different quests for gender identity, and, uh, but, you know, it's incredible to see, oh, uh, um, I'm so, it's terrible, like, she uh, she's so awesome, she has a strip that comes out on United Features, and it's really great, so I'm gonna look up her name and get it, but okay. uh, anyway, it was just like to see so many great cartoonists uh, who
0: happen to be trans yeah. Yeah. on there. Well, I mean, and I do think that, given, that not, listeners, There are actually uh, a good number of cartoonists who are trans, who don't even really write about transness, but who are probably not invited to this panel because that's not really their subject matter. Right. Right.
1: But but once again, what's interesting now, particularly in independent comics, I think, is this whole body of literature that is coming up that's really addressing these issues that for yeah. many years were kind of swept aside. Were and obviously uh, uh, communities that were outright oppressed. Yeah. Uh, and now they can talk openly about it, can create community, uh, can really engage uh, uh, the world in a much better way, a much more honest way. Yeah. And
0: I think I think comics are a great hmm, almost place to start and a great bellwether for where the literary conversation is going because comics long, long before the ebook, have had a long tradition of respecting self-publishing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and respecting independent publishing. Absolutely. Oh, yeah.
2: We'll get to that in a minute. And, ever. <laughs>
0: absolutely. and you know, in, in traditional books, this is not the case. the the respect for the independent creator uh, who doesn't who hasn't been accepted and loved by a mainstream publisher and so I mean this was there even before the days of Kickstarter you know with mini comics and hand selling but yeah Kickstarter and the internet have made it a lot easier for people to get out any narrative that they want to tell that people want to hear regardless of whether the tastemakers think it's the conversation we need to be having that's right yeah. and
2: also on the panel was uh, Gabriel Howell and Julia Kay of Up and Out which is mm-hmm. a, a strip that uh, United Features has published and uh, along with Hazel New Levant El Cardamoneer Nichols and, and Maya Kobe. so anyway mm-hmm. it was a really great panel yeah. and uh, yeah absolutely and, and you're absolutely right Kate and then that night at the Ignatius and you know Calvin I know you've never gone but you have to mm-hmm. go Oh, well, I, I, I haven't have never to. gone. I
1: just haven't gone in most, most, most recent years. Um, so,
2: yeah, yeah, well, because it's really become quite yeah. an extraordinary evening. And what's extraordinary about, about it? Well, um, yes, I was about to explain <laughs> that. <laughs> because, um, because well, there was a lot of controversy about this year's SPX. Mm-hmm. And which we'll explain in a minute. But, you know, we come on here every year. Calvin and I go and we talk about how amazing it was and what a great weekend Mm -hmm. it was. And we never have a bad time at SPX. We really don't. It's just really the highlight of the year. I mean, I go and it's Camp Comics. And this year before the show, there's a big controversy about Amazon and Comixology who have been sponsoring parts of the show for six years. Mm -hmm. And this year it became controversial. And I was worried that this would kind of, um, you know, destroy SPX. And then also there is, of course, the ongoing, um, you know, lawsuit by the publisher Cody pickrot mm-hmm. against these 11 uh, people, you know, accusing them of defamation after they alleged that he had, you know, committed sexual harassment, uh, sexual assault and anti-Semitism and other things. And um, but... You know, at the Ignatzes it really was a place to show everybody's support for yeah. these these people, these ten people and one publisher. And uh Because these publishers re- aren't people. Well, right. Well even
1: when I was was able to go to both days, uh the Ignatzes were a place where you the, the, the sense of community really came to
2: Well it was not but I I mean it's just really become so powerful. And uh Carol Tyler was the, the host and she came out and, you know, did a wonderful speech. Uh, ben Passmore kicked things off, uh, and everybody brought up the Ruwer community. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Carter Manier won for her comic. Uh, you know, Lara Croft was—I I, I, was—I read it. Never, there was a long title. It's about Lara croft and it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and she was saying about how making comics had helped save her life and helped
1: Laura her cross with my family. Yes,
2: was my family mm-hmm. talking about how making comics um, had helped her through her transition? And I mean, everybody just said mm-hmm. the same thing. You know, and I, I wrote this on my my piece about the con, but. Uh, I dragged... Well, I had a friend there who works in, uh, quote, mainstream superhero, unquote, comics. And I said, you've got to go to the Ignatius. And then afterwards, I went... And he says, oh, I don't know. Award shows. They're so long. I said, look, this one is <laughs> short. Please just go. You know, it won't be more than... It was a little long. It was an hour yeah. and a half. When I hosted, it was nine thirty minutes. But anyway. But he went. And then afterwards, I said, what did you think? And his eyes were damp. Yeah. And he, can, said, yeah. he said... He said... You know, it was amazing. And listening to this reminded him of how he found his community in comics. And, you know, we can't lose this. We just can't let this community, you know, whether it's Amazon or, you know, lawsuits, we just can't lose this sense of community because it's really powerful and important and beautiful. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think uh, in uh, the piece for, in our SPX report for Bridget, um, she quotes Eleanor Davis at the very end. Yes. saying, you know, let's try to build a world out there that's as good as the world that I see here, that we built in this community. Let's make it bigger.
2: Yeah. And, you know, like for people talk about how crappy the comics industry is and how bad it is. And, you know, I have my own take on that. But, um, you know, SPX has become a safe space and uh, that most people feel very, very welcome. You know, there's always a few misanthropes, but... Um overall it's just a really wonderful, wonderful place. But that's not to say that there wasn't controversy. And well, you, like a
1: family family, there's sometimes a little bit of bickering. Well, I know, but you know, I don't
2: I, I feel like you know, Kate, what you were just saying about how we're able to hear these voices now because of Kickstarter, because of all this, is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. But with universal access to ideas comes some very bad ideas as well. <laughs> that is true. And Everybody
0: can yes. say their piece, regardless and,
2: of and, how good or bad their the, piece may be. And the bad ideas often gain traction, just yeah. as you know. And before they can, it's like a weed before they can be quashed. They everything can't.
1: comes down to shoot. That
2: does. And you know, there was a lot of controversy about SPX and its relationship to CBLDF before that mm-hmm. we talked about last time. And that was kind of quashed after they established this fund, which I believe we also spoke about before. Mm -hmm. But then uh, somebody was like, what? I can't believe Comixology Originals is sponsoring the Ignatz Awards. This is going to destroy SPX with Amazon. Amazon wants to take over Indie Comics with their POD. Let's be
1: clear. This is is a piece in the Comics Journal by R.J. Casey. Right. In some ways, it there kind... was
2: some st- a Twitter. It kicked off on Twitter. I yeah, want to no, no. be clear well, about mm-hmm. that because people are saying Casey came up with it. He did not. Uh-huh. It kicked off on Twitter the day okay. before, and you know, with from some people. Well, when I'm did not his even...
1: When did his editorial go up?
2: Well, it 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 had kicked off like early last week. Mm-hmm. Was it only last week? I don't even know. what Yeah, it had it is. to be yes. last week. Uh, and there was some twittering, and then Casey put his up, and um, you know.
1: And then it was on it's on game on game on um uh well, yeah, i mean to to summarize at least that essay, you know he described Amazon as a reprehensible company, denounced his labor practices, uh, but then he sort of slipped into uh, into strange uh, a strange territory uh where i mean the comicsology uh, original was was using hope nicholson's um hit reblog right uh as part of its list uh i mean it's published by bedside press her press distributed by comiXology originals in digital and in print yeah um and they were they were actually giving away free copies as i understand it uh at one of the receptions sure bought mine in and uh and so casey says you know to protest amazon to Throw it in the trash. Yeah.
2: But he also said some things, you know, a hastily slapped together book yes, for SPX. Which, you know, which is not true. It was announced at San Diego. We yes. talked about it there. Also, it's published by Bedside Press, distributed yes. in print. Uh, and she print publishes wonderful and, books. Yeah, and Hope Nicholson. You know, I, I was so angry about this. I, mean, I woke up in the middle of the night. I'm on a message board where people were like, oh yeah, Amazon's going to destroy comics. And I'm oak. like, I'm like, Like, what are... How? How are (laughs) they going to do it? Everybody's like, they're going to do it. They're going to destroy comics. But I said, how? How, how? Well, Amazon destroys everything, or takes over everything. I said, how? How are they going to do it? How? And nobody would... I said, all you've done is make Cope Nicholson feel like crap. And made people feel guilty about having a free sandwich.
1: Yeah. The whole thing was
2: ridiculous. Thanks. But now, that said, there were some some, uh, measured... Pushback. Now, to me, the fact that Amazon Comixology, which is led by Chip Mosher, let's just yes. be honest. Uh, yeah, he's, he's the director babe. of, the, he, of Chip does it. Reason. This is Chip's game, and he is the one who drives car. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's been for six years. This is the sixth year. They also sponsor parts of TCAF yeah. and Thought Bubble and Comics Absolutely. Arts Crossroads in Columbus. So this is not new. Yeah, on MoCA. And I always say disclosure. I threw a party with Comicsology Submit sure. back in the day at Mocha. All right. So this is
1: not a. And brand. I bet there's a huge chunk of cartoonists at small press expo that used um, the the Comicsology self publishing right. Platform. And
2: so other, but you know, people kept saying, "What if Amazon sells all these comics?" I'm like. They already do.
0: do. <laughs> they do. What are they talking about? What are, what are they talking, talking about? about? Well, it's now, I mean, I guess if the, they're like, oh, they're sponsoring an award, what if they game the awards? But then, like, that's a different issue. That has not happened.
2: But, but you know, Kate, I, I, it was like it's like underpants gnomes in reverse. It's like, you know, Amazon <laughs> sponsors Ignatius. Step two, indie comics are destroyed.
1: Yeah, what's no, wrong no, no. with this picture? I mean, there's, like, no logical progression from one point to the other. It's just a weird I mean, sort don't, of hysteria. Don't,
0: don't we want Amazon and comiXology to be good citizens of the industry? Isn't contributing to things like conventions and, you for small press and stuff being a good citizen you know
2: let me tell you michael deforge one of today's most acclaimed cartoonists did put out a statement on twitter where he said he was going to boycott spx if they continue to be sponsored by amazon and that is uh, his choice you know i had a a conversation uh, it's off the record i mean you know i didn't say i was going to attribute it so but i i I talked to at least one uh very well-known and respected indie publisher who said that they don't they hate Amazon, uh, because they, right. and it has predatory That's okay. practices. That's, and this we is not know, news. You know what? It's Most absolutely true. Most publishers hate Amazon. Of course, the, Amazon has predatory practices, but they still sell their books on Amazon, and they uh, accept and you that know what this else? is
1: where it is. Amazon d- delivers probably more profits to them more efficiently than any other vendor. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be wary of Amazon. Yeah. But there is don't this, depend this on industry them. isn't, well, you they, you don't have any choice
0: but to yeah, depend you can't on but it. But I mean, try to <laughs> diversify your business model as much as you can. You can is try. Reason. Right. But at the end of the day... but Yeah, it's reasonable to be wary and try to diversify your business model, but it doesn't make Amazon, like, the devil with whom one cannot deal.
2: But it's also, like, I mean, you know, this was also... I, I think the first person who raised the alarm was Eric Reynolds, who wrote about... How he met of Eric Reynolds, the associate publisher of Fantagraphics, he met remember mm. how someone from Amazon came and pitched their POD, put print-on-demand services mm-hmm. to him, and he was very suspicious of it. Now, I will say, if you live in Seattle, you are a hundred thousand percent entitled to be very suspicious of Amazon because sure. what yes. they've done to the local economy is very damaging. I'm not, I'm not saying Amazon is warm and cuddly. I will say Chip Moser is very warm and cuddly. Okay, this is a fact, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, I whether well, you believe me or maybe I'm naive, but I I don't I I I I you know I think Chip has just been quietly taking some money from his marketing budget and buying sandwiches for some hungry young cartoonists, and I I don't I'm see sure anything wrong with that. I honestly don't. It, well, let's be watchful. The, and if it looks like it's Amazon. more,
1: this is an issue with Amazon and and, and Comixology, who had which had a relationship with SBX long before they were acquired by Amazon. Uh, would be when they were still an independent company. that This is the problem with Amazon. Amazon, on the one side, is a monstrous, global, rapacious, uh, late capitalist um, uh, retailer that swallows up everything in its path. On the other hand, uh, it is an amazing platform that's completely focused on what its end users want and how to deliver it to them efficiently at a really great price. They They are both... Because of this one side where it it delivers to its customers, they have all kinds of services that allow small publishers as well as big publishers to make money, to exist, to disrupt their markets, just like Amazon disrupts markets. Mm -hmm. Amazon makes it possible for individual artists to publish, for small publishers to to publish. Uh, Now, they're very tough uh, people to deal with. They They want better terms constantly. And this is the dilemma in the business climate we live in now that you're faced with. Amazon is savior and fierce competitor. And it's the the, the, the notion (laughs) that a a couple hundred self-publishers and small presses is going to stop this global uh, monster is just completely misplaced. I think if you frame the problem that way, you're just trying to create an inflammatory situation. You're not trying to find a solution. But
2: it's just, you know, and I understand that people want to read Twitter and get a, you know, 258... character soundbite that they can stand by but you know i saw people say like oh when amazon deep discounts you know the publisher loses money it's like no when amazon deep discounts amazon loses money when they do one of their crazy sales they set the price now a lot of publishers don't like that because it undercuts some of their other vendors yes that is a problem but that amazon pays the same amount digitally or in print no matter what they sell it for
1: pay royalties on on, yeah um on the list price. <clears throat> uh, so,
2: so I'm listen, I'm not saying Amazon is a super friendly, lovable company. They are not. No. But most of the objections that I saw raised were completely not correct.
1: They were clueless or wrong yeah. or... You know, and we have to remember this whole notion that Amazon is destroying retail. They are, in certain ways, they their biggest uh, competitors are are other gigantic mass mm-hmm. markets. Walmart. Uh, independent bookstores have grown and thrived and uh, uh, and continue to do so during ramp- uh, the heart of Amazon's growth period. So, yeah. you know, let's be careful. And we should point out a really excellent piece written by a friend of the show, Bridget Alverson. Uh, addressing every point yes. made in it and refuting them, and
2: and, and I'd like to say Don't that I pages. I was responsible for Bridget writing that because you great. see normally Bridget and I room together but because I didn't come down Friday night she had plenty of time to go back to her room and write this brilliant essay. And so, it's great, you it's know, I'm thoughtful and funny yeah.
1: and to the point.
2: <clears throat> okay well you know also at the ignats ben passmore the brilliant uh author of your black friend a multi-award nominated and winning comic mm. uh got up and gazed kicked things off with a really stirring speech and about community and during it he said something uh like you know i'm paraphrasing but it was basically like you know we don't need our crumb and the whole room booed <laughs> our crumb and uh or cl- you know clapped. wait how did that come up just because he mentioned our Crumb because our Crumb is godhead to the old timers, the old geezers (laughs) and uh, considered and you know, and Boyd, and then he mentioned Crumb came up twice, it was, you know, booed twice and uh, you know, from where I sit, it was refreshing but uh, so then, poor Durf, back Durf, who I I do you know, (laughs) he's an old
1: head and,
2: and you know, he's, if you look at his work, he's probably looked at a Crumb comic or two now and then, but he said oh, I don't like the kids booing Crumb and Oh boy. I, I was, was, on Twitter, it, he said it
1: was weird. It was weird. The millennials booing.
2: The millennials booing crumb was weird. <laughs> yeah. And then the situation
0: sounds weird. And
2: then quite a few people, uh, such as myself, uh, who is very much not a millennial, pointed out that uh, he, great cartoonist though he may be, historically innovative though he may be, uh, to today's audiences, his work is unbearably racist and sexist, and it is—you know what? It's—it's uh, it's not
0: that great. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I will agree. Well, I don't anymore, anymore, whatever. Uh, I'm not a fan. I'm yeah, not a fan. Fun. But I accept that other people enjoy him and his historical yeah. role. Uh, but I'm—I'm I'm a little—the whole off-the-cuff, random, let's hate on a comic creator and like universally boo out of the blue kind of well, I, I I'm not really sure what went on. I feel I like I'm there, missing something. But
1: I, I, I can understand that Crumb has become a symbolic. Type yes, of a stand I think more
2: like a, for, the a regime, for the old regime, the old era. Because, where... because, you know what? If you, you know, I mean, Trina Robbins has written about it extensively uh, about how in that underground uh, group that was flourishing in the, the Bay Area of the late 60s, early mm-hmm. 70s, that she was excluded and other women were excluded. And, um,. You know, it was very, very unfriendly to women. Crumb's work is incredibly unfriendly to women. And you know what? I... Have, I said this on Twitter. I finally came out. I, it's really, you know, I haven't been public about this, but I said I have never read a Crumb comic that I enjoyed or identified with. And it's true. I've yes. never read any of his work. And like, people like, oh, he's the greatest. And I'm like, where? Where is this great comic that you keep well, talking about? I will say
1: this. I think he's a genius and, and one of the greatest uh, cartoonists of the 20th century. Uh, he's also uh, sexist and racist. And, um, uh, and I think we should also be clear here, is that there's been a component of the... Of the- Intellectual world and the comics world that have been booing a, um, our crumb for the reasons that you say mm-hmm. for for many many years. So, but there's a new generation now, and they're they're they are more entrenched in their revulsion at his work, and and I I can look at it and see that this is where it's going. Yes, you know, and you know what? It's going to go Listen, in the Listen,
2: I'm not saying that his work should be banned. I'm not saying no, that not. he no. should be banned. Absolutely. I'm not saying, you know, this was Here, part... People shouldn't read him. Right, I, and also, you know, this was part of the controversy at, at TCAF this year over lean going. Yeah. And some people did not support lean. And you know what? I think that's a little bit much. I do, I actually think that's Do we going really to
0: target people... F- for their spouses really yes, isn't exactly. fair I agree. but I
2: and you know I wouldn't target Crom either I mean I I don't think his work yeah. is so dangerous that it needs he should to, not go to conventions yeah, because but I but honestly and, and, and you know I want to just say I was her uh, I sorry harassed online but you know I got called out in some Facebook postings for for me saying I didn't like Crum and and it was uh, complete harassment after that he's like you know people just yeah, actually other cartoonists other older white male cartoonists just wouldn't let it go you know i just came and said look i don't like crumb is this a crime yeah and yes it is I it's won't. literary so criticism people think that liking crumb makes you uh, a horrible person who you know must be silenced and you know yeah, i mean you know, calvin when you honestly I, I will say this when you say he's one of the greatest cartoonists of the 20th century yeah. I, I, you know one of the things about crumb yes absolutely he did influence a huge generation mm-hmm. Uh, of underground comics, okay? And that integral is France. You know, in France, they worship Crummy even more than we do. You know, and he is credited for kicking off the entire revolution of French comics. So absolutely one of the most seminal figures. Um, You know, is he one of the greatest cartoonists? Well, the guy draws like a god. I will say that. Like, from a technical standpoint, he is absolutely a great cartoonist. Um, And for me, that's as far as it goes. You know, if you want the cartoonist who... Uh, covered the most what it was like to be a nebbishy guy who wanted to have sex with a lot of women and put them down in the process. He's great. So is Chester Brown.
0: Well, I mean, I guess my perspective is that while I see his historical value and I respect that other people see things in his work that I don't, he doesn't fall under the category in my mind that a lot of common creators do of problematic but I see the genius. Like When I try to read Crumb, i personally go i don't get it like i get its historical importance but i don't get the the artistic value but that's me and and that's just me doing literary criticism and i accept that everyone sees books differently yeah you know we talked about last time uh i think about uh the late
2: great marie severin And, you know, Marie Severn was really one of the great cartoonists, but she was never allowed the chance to be one of the great cartoonists. You know, she could draw anything, anytime, anywhere. And, uh, you know, our was very influenced by Carl Barks. That's who he patterned Mm -hmm. himself after. And actually his storytelling and his style is a lot like Carl Barks. And, you know, listen, I get that he spoke to a lot of people, but uh, I reject that notion. And, you know, I was happy to hear Bren Passmore uh, put him on uh, a shelf of history where he belongs and let's move on and write some
1: new books true but i, I i'll just say that you know people can go to the uh, go to the work itself uh his investigation into uh investigating his own psyche in writing um uh, autobiographical comics uh his drawing style um uh, is incredibly rich uh the attitude of the uh and the approach to comics um uh, to breaking taboo was c- incredibly important at the time when he did it. Yeah, he's a pioneering uh, figure. The, the, no question. The work around Zap Comics and the cartoonists that came out of that, who, which has many of the same problems uh, that that um, cr- our, our Crumb's work, uh, made, but still is mean, you know, still remains strong to this day. Uh, you know, people like Spain and others. So uh, all of the flaws that you mentioned are true. But the strengths of the work are there for, for people to go and read, and, and he doesn't need me to, to no, defend his right? Head.
2: No, and right, I mean, I love, I love his stories that he mm. drew for Harvey Picard. They're fantastic. Yeah, those are
1: some of the greatest uh, yeah. st- Picar stories ever. Yeah,
2: absolutely. They're the mm. best. Yeah, they mm. are the best. I mean, you know, uh, he was the best artist. I'm not saying Crumb isn't a great, great artist, but I'm just saying it's like, you know, he also set the tone of wall- wallowing in his own insecurity a- and projecting absolutely. it onto women. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, that there comics no have go. wallowed in. And well, you know what? To That's be, pretty To crappy. be yeah.
0: fair, Heidi, all of this also comes up in that genre of would-be literary classics known as "Guy in Your MFA." Mm-hmm. Have you seen the Guy in Your MFA Twitter? I have it's no awesome. idea what that is. So basically, the premise—it's—it's it's a humor Twitter written in the persona of that guy <laughs> that guy in your MFA that guy who would like to be the next literary great and who uh, thinks that he's very original writing his uh, novel about this guy who looks and sounds suspiciously like him and who uh, is is Enlightened by the experience of cheating on his <laughs> wife with a younger woman. You know, that that's right. Guy. Like
2: you do. As you do, because uh, you know, a manic pixie dream girl will really
0: spice up your life. And and of course you will ditch her in the end also, because she is but a shallow thing. Right. Um so that is it is not it is not limited to comics or crumb it is it is a rich literary yeah, tradition absolutely. that i wish to and, set and, on fire you know
2: from that standpoint crumb was one of the greatest at, <laughs> at, um, at uh, expressing that 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 feeling and that emotion so yeah you know i'll back up on that but um uh, yeah and you know we haven't even touched on the racism and you know oh yeah. he was mocking it yes sure and, you know I think- if
0: it looks the same and it sounds the same and it quacks like a racist <laughs> duck it might well, be this, a racist it, it's duck. It's
1: true, and, and a lot of his work is indefensible. I mean, uh, I think people can look at the work and decide for themselves if he's yes. a racist himself. Yes, yes absolutely. Um, uh, but it, there's it, certainly but, a racist tropes throughout
0: them. Yeah, it, we're uh, not saying that he necessarily was yeah. racist. Who knows what he is, but the work um, itself. But, I mean, a lot of this work,
1: you know, is based uh, is based in a time when... Uh, among these artists where breaking taboo was it was a formal approach now i'm not going to say that they they have to accept the consequences for the work yeah. that they did
0: people but, can make whatever judgment about it it's actually they want. a
1: formal decision to break taboos of all kind oh uh, i'm sure a, a, as an absolutist uh salute to free speech and creativity and they have to live with the consequences of the work that they produce
2: absolutely yeah yeah and you know but uh, i'm just saying yeah this was necessary but, you know, to today, to, to younger people who didn't live through this time, you know, it seems needlessly, because they, they have, uh, you know, with social media, they have free expression. So, and, you know, I think... We, we hope so. I mean, we
1: hope Hopefully so. they're we not hope creating uh, new, like, limits well, on what you can say gonna, or we're going to hang back well, at some point. We'll find well, out, Well, let's huh? put
0: it this way. There's, the way the internet works is that there are large numbers of people who say, you shouldn't say that on the internet. And then there are large numbers of people who say it on the internet anyway. That's right. And that applies to literally anything you could say. Yeah. That's right.
1: That is true. And you could, you can apply that to, like, 1971 in, in San Francisco we, and Zap Comics, too. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I just want to make clear. I would never, ever, ever, ever advocate, um, you know, banning Crumb's work or, uh, you know, not being able to read it or seek it out. Uh, I, you know, that is not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I don't right, like understand. it. I yeah. know. I, 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 that's and that's, that's very have a right different. To say it. And, yes. and
1: uh, to be sure with Durf in mind people have been saying that for a a long time as long as Crumb has been making his work there have been people to say you know what uh nah not me so yeah and that's 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 cool and I I will admit I have I met Crumb once Mm -hmm. or twice and uh yeah, he he's kind of just like his cartoons. Yes, but anyway. Exactly. <laughs> so.
2: Did not all right. know that. Uh, so, uh, anyway, well, let's talk about something a lot more uh, adult. Uh, Batman's <laughs> unit. Uh, Bat-
0: speaking of units, we are also talk play. about Batman's. Yes, Batman's.
1: Uh, um, we're talking about the new book from yes. uh, um, Brian Nazarello and... Batman damned. don't say I'm for <laughs> Uh really the first uh, this is the first release in DC's new black label imprint that's gonna be about basically giving talented creators a chance to do stuff out of continuity. <laughs> well
2: I think what we the first thing we need to talk about with this Batman book is the size. Yeah. Because, it's, this is actually because kind of it's a very stuff. unusual we size. Well it, it's
0: actually <laughs> If you look at it, it's sized very similarly to a lot of those Euro comics. You yes, see, yes, it's European size. That's it's right. It's interesting.
1: I mean, they, I mean, they've had for years this, a prestige format in the, the periodical biz. They've done. It seems like they've tried to come up with another version of it now. They, w- they want to look different. Comic book here. They yeah. want
0: to look different, so they're yeah. making themselves a totally different size, which won't fit on anybody's bookshelves. Congratulations. And yeah,
2: and another thing that this has to do with Batman's genitals size
0: (laughs) uh yeah so i mean it is a little little wider so it is wider though yeah so (laughs) we we, we're going to talk both about uh, a certain eye-catching piece of content in the book and then the book itself and black label also
2: well yes uh, but anyway, let's just... It's my brand, on Libra Mayhound. You know, we've talked about Black Label plenty of times before. Yeah. This is DC's sudden realization as they looked at their book scan numbers year after year and saw that Watchmen, The Killing Joke, exactly. and Dark Knight were always atop
0: the list. So they were like, let's do more like that. Which, yeah. on the yeah. subtopic, sounds on the surface, sounds like a great idea. Yeah, I know, agree it's a do you good know idea. know
2: Dr. Manhattan is naked. Maybe if we made Batman naked, <laughs> yeah. then that would be like Watchmen.
0: Yeah, when That's I true. first heard about it and when I saw the panel out of context, uh, well, a blurred version of the panel out of context, I figured... Given the shadowing of it, I assumed Batman was wearing excessively tight pants. I was wrong. <laughs> Batman is just naked in bad lighting. Yes. 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 yes.
2: And it's listen, it's tasteful. There's nothing exploitive about it. it. Except it's for it's completely
1: pointless. Yes.
0: Well, I think it's just... Well, to be it, adult, it, you must show plot. male frontal nudity. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. That's the ultimate taboo. Uh, there's yeah. There's a reason
1: for it in the plot, but... You know, well, like but, but it's,
0: it's very tacked on. There's yeah. no real reason they just came up with an excuse for naked batman yeah so um so basically
2: what they've done is this like the a digital version crept out over the weekend as it does and the retailer suddenly cried out oh my god it's batman's penis and then uh the book just came out yesterday as we are here and uh bad but however the digital version is now censored we cannot see the bat penis and uh, DC has announced that in all future editions, it will
1: be blacked out. <laughs> there you go. Well, this, this, this—I mean, this is a continuing series, and I'm sure it's going to be uh, released in a high-end hardcover edition. You know, at mm-hmm. the end of it.
2: Okay. Yeah. I'd
1: be—I—I would doubt that they would uh, censor it
0: in this particular. Yeah,
2: edition. but I guess it's not going to be uncut.
0: It's not going to be. <laughs> oh, Heidi, no. Uh, <laughs> um, so. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, um, I, I say this is someone who quite enjoys Brian Azzarello's work. I have, I'm a yeah. longtime fan, um, but sort of flipping through this, I was not impressed. It seemed like both lazy and try hard at the same time. Yeah, try hard, like it. It very much felt like a 15 year old's idea of what it was to write a totally like grown up Batman comic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'll tell you this I thought it was kind of interesting um, and, uh, I mean, it's really kind of basically Batman as a horror comic uh, they, They've got, you know, there's some demonic presence in it uh, What's interesting to me about it Is he's kind of reframing the, the, the Bruce Wayne's um, parents I mean, if I'm not mistaken, there seems to be like an affair going on at a certain point in this as well. Yeah, you know, this so, is a
2: Batman book, and it's got a, a a flashback to the scene in Crime Alley where Batman's parents died. Yeah, That's exactly, really fresh. No one's ever done well, that yeah, before. Well, yeah, actually,
1: they've done it in every single Batman yeah. series. Yeah, I know. I was That's sarcastic. what she was saying. Uh, yeah, but I'm you know, sarcastic. look, this right now, this book is carried on in, on uh, an atmosphere of gothic noir. And a really rich artwork by Brendan Yeah, uh,
2: the art is fantastic. So I'm a better, you know, this uh, is
1: it the, looks almost like a, a video game. Yeah, this yeah. is the
2: the team behind uh, the Joker book, a graphic novel that came yes, out. Yes, which years is ago. I that think sold, one of the best sold, Joker novels absolutely. ever, and it sold very well. It, it, and it beautifully uh, uh, yeah. and
1: written uh, in a way that was really a tribute to Azrael. Yeah,
2: and this is a really this is a really beautifully drawn
1: book. So I haven't yeah, sat down and read yeah. it
0: for But but I mean, I'm not yet, sure this is
1: that. No, this it, is not that. Oh. But it's uh, you know, it's a dark vision of Batman. Yeah, but so what else is new? So,
0: but yeah, here's the thing. Like I I say this is someone who enjoys Azrael's work, which is not known for being sunny, mm-hmm. who enjoys uh, Batman in all his darkness. And I'm I'm just yeah. I'm not feeling it. I mean, maybe it'll get more. So it just feels like it's like he can't they came up like with a cynical checklist of all the things for like super intense with is it extreme with two X's guys? Batman comic, that's going to be like adult and stuff. And I'm just like, I am now no longer 15 as an actual adult. I'm just I'm just like, yeah, so well, it's a sad
2: fact that for a lot of people in comics, their emotional maturity did end at age 15. Uh, a lot of people outside of comics as well so you know yeah, I, maybe it'll
0: catch on with I, them. I don't know I said
2: before that if you really wanted to do that, I've said this on this podcast before so I am repeating myself but if you want to do a new Watchmen you've got to give to someone who's totally outside the main quote mainstream superhero unquote Industry, why don't you let Ben Passmore write Batman? I think yeah, he'd do a really yeah, good job. Yeah, well, I mean,
1: Paul Pope's version was very interesting. Yeah, but Paul, is
2: established. Paul was. Was, totally was established, he was totally established. Although,
1: you know, Paul has always been able to keep a sort of yeah, but, but, inside but, outside. Calvin,
2: Paul Pope's been around for 25 years. I'm well, just saying, well, this book was at,
1: done close to 20 years ago. Yes, I know, <laughs>
2: but I'm also saying it's 2018, and who would do
0: uh, Who would do to superheroes now, yeah, what Alan Moore and yeah. Frank
2: Muller did in 1985? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to say that I was very much on board and I still am on board with the concept of black label. I I think giving people yeah, giving great idea. creators a playground yeah, to, to do whatever in is is a great yeah. idea, but um And it's really aimed at the book trade too. Yeah. So I think but it's a good idea. It's a good idea. It's a really good idea. But I, I'm so far I'm not sold on the actual products. I'm hoping yeah. that this is that, you know, it's one of those wheat-to-shaft things that you're just going to get a certain number of kind of forgettable books, and eventually you'll strike gold. Yeah. I hope they strike gold. Oh, they've they've got quite a few books coming, so we're we're going to see. Okay, and so we actually have... An interview from SBX, don't we, Calvin?
1: Yeah, um, I got a chance to talk with uh, Michael Cherkis and Larry Hancock, the creative team behind The Silent Invasion. Now, Silent Invasion was really a terrific uh, sci-fi, communist paranoia, 1950s retro graphic novel, uh, first published in the late 1980s. Uh, they What they've done, uh, um, I read it back in the day. I really enjoyed it. What they've done is taken it, they've refreshed the art. Uh, Michael has redrawn big chunks of it. And MBM is re-releasing it uh, in um, in, a, in a new series with some related material coming down the road that they broke well, some sort of spin-off series that they did about Silent Invasion. So we talk about the strip, uh, what they've done to change it, and they're, they're in their creative thinking. So check it out. Uh, welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. So, uh, listeners, uh, this week we're at SBX, that's the Small Press Expo in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, really one of the, the longest running, most prestigious, uh, exciting, um, comics arts festivals in the country. And I'm here today with, uh, with, with, with two artists that actually, uh, in some ways, I'm sort of rediscovering you. Uh, Michael Cherkis and Larry Hancock. Uh, welcome to More to Come. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Well, we're here. Gonna, we're going to talk about the Silent Invasion, and I say I'm sort of reintroducing myself because I read it for the first time. I think in the must have been the late '80s. That's correct. That yeah. would be yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I first read it uh, in the edition that uh, Terry Nattier published, but it was published. I think mean, previous to that in periodical form. I get from yeah. Renegade Press. Yeah, it's
3: a floppy comic. It's a 12 issue floppy yeah. comic series uh, from '86 to. Eight, 88. 88, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, mm-hmm. about the end of 88, and then mm-hmm. Terry c- collected it mm-hmm. as a series of four graphic albums.
4: Yeah, that's NBM uh, tra- uh, Publishing, the graphic novel. Yeah.
1: yeah, and uh, my first recollection of it was that it had just great mood and atmosphere, uh, very stylishly done, evoked an era, and then, of course, the story also... Uh, this combination of, uh, uh political paranoia, UFOs, scientific, para- uh, sci-fi paranoia. It was just a, a perfect combination of all of these moods, uh, in one with, with great stories. Now, you do the drawing? Yeah. Michael? Yeah, Michael yeah, you do yeah, the drawing yeah. and you do the writing? Well, or do you? Know, you... To, to be realistic yeah. about it, Michael
4: and I plot intensively together. Uh-huh, okay. And then ultimately when it comes down to what's final, Larry, me, I do the scripting. Okay. Michael does the artwork the lettering and the final editing something yes, he doesn't so. like he doesn't put it down oh, in the video. <laughs> oh he's okay. making okay yeah, all
3: right yeah, there yeah. we go okay no, you draw no. that line in the sand yeah, yeah. okay yeah that's the way it used to be and now now when i'm going to edit something out i call larry and say i'm going to take something out okay <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> kind of <laughs> gentler
1: version okay we live
4: and work so close together oh. that it's we're constantly talking about this stuff for a well, constantly, the
1: always a well, I want you to talk about the book, but I, what I, I also would love for you to do is just to t- uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your, your background. Uh,
3: okay. As artists, uh, <laughs> as, as
1: well, actually, home plotters.
4: Michael and I met um, a number of years before we did this, okay. because we were both going to the same used bookstore in Oshawa, Ontario, okay. to buy comic books, and eventually I would go over to his place, and we played table hockey together okay. hockey. and from that we just clearly with, this
1: is in Canada but go on <laughs> for similar comics uh-huh.
4: we just kept talking about it I went off to university to study accounting Michael went to study art and design uh-huh. and he ended up doing a bit of work in the back of service comics um, Dave Sim
1: mm-hmm. and, oh sure uh, yes of course and,
4: and the, uh, at the at that time Danny Lubert who was his wife and ex-wife mm-hmm. Uh, was starting up Renegade Press and asked oh. Michael to develop the series and Michael brought me in and, uh, and that's where we went. Yeah, because we
3: actually proposed that my initial proposal to Danny was, uh, um to develop a series based on a character called Dick Mallet, which is a pastiche of a uh, private detective that He's like three feet tall, and his his whole gimmick was he didn't carry a gun. Okay.
1: So well, doesn't that character show up in <laughs> yeah, Silent should, or yeah. the persona, or uh, yeah, the name, or the name. yeah, yeah, yeah? Basically, yeah,
3: okay. he does show up in the he shows right. up in the first three pages of the Silent Invasion. Right. So kill him off. Yeah, okay, we, that's right. Yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, we that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah so but uh, yeah we did a, uh decided I'd always been interested in the whole UFO phenomenon uh-huh. and uh, Larry has always been a big science fiction fan and I was also a big uh, I was always interested in the Red Scare in the 50s the whole thing in the States where you know the McCarthy investigation yes absolutely so so my the initial take was that uh, and that's basically the overriding theme of the silent invasion is that the communist red scare the red scare and the UFO sightings are somehow intertwined yes they may not be but that's Mm -hmm. part of the story right and somehow uh Nefarious government organizations are involved in both, and somehow they're, they're, they are involved in both. Yes. Yes. The council. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and all of these are kind of based on the NSA, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, all the secretive, and the black, Mm -hmm. you know, the black ops. Yes, absolutely. Or the, or the black budget of the Mm -hmm. CIA that you always hear Mm -hmm. about, where, where, uh, there's money being spent, but we don't know. Yes, what it we can, is. yes. We yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we don't
1: have to tell you how yeah. much. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of thing, right? Well, the so, interesting thing too mm-hmm. is
4: that when we were doing this, we were talking to people about the fact that when we were doing this in the late '80s, mm-hmm. we were talking about some of the influences being the black and white movies, TV shows, and everything that 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 we enjoyed and sure. that we were scared by as kids 30 years earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's another 30 years beyond that, so it's interesting to speculate in regards to the political times and everything in regards to the sound invasion, what there is from mm-hmm. that, that rings has resonance with readers today
1: Well, you know, another thing about the, 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 seri- the series, and as I said, I mean it, 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 you, the book it seems to capture a feeling yeah. of the time, uh, but, it, but you also, I mean the social relations are there too, uh, particularly for women I mean that's uh, an aspect that comes up to the wife, the girlfriend, how they interact with the men uh that's an aspect of the period that comes across in this in it too without making this sound like it's a sociological study because it's really kind of a you know it's a very fun read but yeah. you, you you've managed to to uh, interweave all of these um uh, cultural threads in it i Yes,
3: it's partly because we grew up in that era. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. It's all stuff that you remember. (laughs) There's a scene in uh, one of the chapters where um, Matt and the and Gloria Amber go into a yes, hotel they're room. On the road, they they're, on they're on the road. They're on the road. They're being and, yes. and, and they walk in, and they both think twin beds. Yes, Did I it's one of my favorite.
1: I think I've been pointing it out in review. It's a capture the, the period perfectly. Yes, and, and, like, that the, and that was all about And that was all about... Because even on the TV shows at that time, married couples didn't sleep in so yeah, the same I, bed. Of course not, you know. But, the, yeah, yeah the, the favorite one uh, with Dick Van Dyke and... Uh, yeah. yeah, of course, they always had twin beds in yeah. all of these, t- yeah. and all these TV shows
4: they were required the actors were required to always keep one foot on, yeah.
3: on the floor yeah, that. yeah. but I <laughs> even remember uh, when I was eight watching those shows thinking that's somehow wrong do not looked, right so, don't, don't <laughs> something's not nuts. quite right <laughs>
1: uh, I love it um, okay so you uh, how'd you meet Terry? Terry, now, the publisher there, did he, he find the series and then come to you? Yes, I believe he found the series uh, through Denny. Uh And I, and I
3: actually think at some point, and you'd have to help me on this, Larry, I think Denny kind of helped shop it around to get it collected as a graphic novel, and uh, she talked to Terry, because I think, and I'm not sure, but I have a vague recollection that near the end of our run, renegade we'd already touched base with Terry that oh, yes. he was going to collect Yeah, because mm-hmm. well, I, yeah, yeah. I remember going to a dinner or something in San Diego and Terry and Danny were at the same dinner so, and, uh, so I think we'd already
4: well it's interesting yeah. though because I'm going to jump ahead now to more recent times too mm-hmm. because you talk about how do we make contact with Terry they also Yeah, well, that was my next question. Yeah, our our (laughs) original graphic novel publisher Mm -hmm. back in the late 80s, early Mm -hmm. 90s. But, um, eventually uh, he stopped publishing us. The rights came back to us. Mm-hmm. We didn't really do anything with them for a while. Then. But then Terry contacted us a couple of years ago and he was coming up to a similar to SPX, to the TCAPs, the oh, Toronto yes. Comics Art I love t- t- in Toronto. And he goes up there every year. Mm-hmm. But they were going to celebrate the 40th year of NBM publishing. Mm-hmm. And so he said, we're going to do a panel. Why don't you guys, since you're living in the city, come over and be on the panel as well. And at the time we did that, we were a successful panel. We handed him a copy of a mini comic we'd done a couple of years ago called uh, the Purple mm-hmm. Um and on the back we had put an ad a teaser ad saying The Silent Invasion Book 6 coming soon but not too soon <laughs> so you know we looked sounds at sounds like that. wishful thinking Terry, Yeah. Well, Terry, Terry, <laughs> My, Michael's made me modify this a little bit I looked at Terry and Terry looked at me and we both basically said why not and then Michael I like it. grumpily said Oh, uh, I guess. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, let's go. Let's so do that's well. why we're back now. So <laughs> the yeah. idea is that we're bringing back the original copies of the Style mm-hmm. Invasion. Uh, we're reformatting them a bit. Uh, yes, the that's what I was saying. It was originally 12 issues from Renegade. Mm-hmm. NBM did it as four volumes. Mm-hmm. But and those it... 12 issues are now being released as two volumes. Okay. Then we also did a comic book with NBM as five issues called Abductions. But Terry, well actually the comic book itself was called Secret Messages featuring Silent Baby. Ah. But Terry never at that time published the album. So it's never been released as an album before. Okay, So after these two first two mm-hmm. albums, we're going to be releasing the material that's never been released as an album before. So it's going to be brand new material to the majority of the people out there in the bookstores. They won't have seen it. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to be following that up maybe a year after that with yeah, another nice. album of brand new material that we're working on right now. Great, So okay. Michael and I are once, once more back to having fistfights and arguments
1: over exactly how this <laughs> is. I love I the to creative process. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So, so we're talking about four volumes, four volumes um, yeah. under the broader umbrella of the Silent Invasion. Yeah. These, these are it's sort of right. related In, series?
4: You know, much as you, you know, unfortunately, well, unfortunately, I do have a saying, never say never.
1: Okay. So, you know, <laughs> once we get
4: that fourth volume out there, we still haven't actually figured out how we're going to conclude that. Ah, okay. Um, it may be open-ended up enough that there will be another one. You know, it's going to depend upon how successful Well, mm-hmm. well, just to... Okay, to, Michael yeah. has a different opinion. Okay. No. no, I don't have a
3: different <laughs> opinion. I'm just going to go back to... The, the book 3 yeah. which is the collection of the uh, 5 issue floppy comic series that uh, we uh, has never been collected that will be called Volume 3 Abductions that uh, takes off from uh, the second volume of the, of the current reprint series and it is basically the search for Matt Sinkage because Matt Sinkage disappears at the end of the issue 12 either he's been murdered by the state or thrown into, into a,
1: some institution or yeah, something or institution. and Matt for, for the people who don't know Matt Sinkage is kind of the key here. yeah yeah, he, he's a um, another another classic element also to wrap up you know the hard-charging reporter yeah. that everyone thinks is crazy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so
3: he is either, like I said, he's either been institutionalized or or, yes. or murdered by the by the state or something or or yes, or, 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 or abducted. Yes, or <laughs> <laughs> but but um, book three abductions follows the character named Phil Housley. There's right. a detective who worked both for the FBI and the CIA and the yeah. Secret Council. Yeah. Secret it it Council. gets a little head-spinning yeah, at a certain he, point, he but it's a good way. But <laughs> he ends up involved in the search for Matt Sinkich yeah. to find out what really happened to him, and that story is set in 1965. The new story that we're working on is, starts in 1970, on that eight, fateful April day when Apollo 13 had their trouble. And it basically picks up with Walter Sinkage, Matt's brother, Uh who then becomes obsessed with Matt's disappearance. And from there, there's going to be. As we get into the further chapters, there is going to be other involvements with his children who and, get abducted. And Katie seems a little like and suspicious is, to she me. She is suspicious. <laughs> She's a suspicious. That's one. Walter's wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so there is. So, right. so basically, the new story really revolves around the Walter Sinkage family, and how Matt's disappearance has affected them. That, that, that would
4: be the serious look at it. Okay. But now though. (laughs) But having said that, again, we've always structured this such that enjoying one book doesn't necessarily mean that you've had to have read the previous books. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and I think especially with the new one, we're really trying to make sure that you don't have to know a lot about what happened in the first three books.
1: Well, you know, it's well. As someone who's read the whole book, the first volume here, anyway, I mean, you, you, you can have the whole story, but you're still going to be you're still going to be scratching your head and yeah. looking for, you know, other threads. Well, we
4: have, one of the things we've always believed is that. You know, it, it, it is fiction, but the thing is, life doesn't just come to a nice, yes. satisfying conclusion. Exactly. When you tell a story, there are always threads that you just don't know the answer to. We've just got to make sure that we don't leave the reader too puzzled and frustrated by the
3: Right. Yeah. And the other okay. thing to point out that I like to say is conspiracies are. Uh, to be truly satisfying, they have to be unsolvable. Yes, that's yeah, exactly. Why they, that's why the, That's why the, That's yeah, why there's so yeah. many books on the Kennedy assassination. Exactly. There's or, always or, another yeah, question you can yeah, ask, you know, yeah. and just keep the whole
1: thing going. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I, uh, I, you, you pointed out how you read work some of the arc, and, uh, and I was lucky enough to be standing at the table when you showed that one of the first, I guess, one of the original issues yeah. of the uh, the periodical comic, and there really has been. Um, you know, pretty significant changes in the layout and how well, you're Michael, your Michael's mind. Michael, Michael's the artist, is never mm-hmm. 100% satisfied with what's on the paper.
4: And that's, that's not unreasonable because you always figure you can do better. The thing is, though, that when we when we did the initial comics, we were new at it. Mm-hmm. So when it came time to do the first publication with Terry in graphic novel form, we took a hard look at the material. And Michael redrew a significant portion of what went into that first book, which is now the first half. Of the mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. Yeah. We also changed the uh, the narrative style in order to be consistent throughout the whole mm-hmm. thing. We definitely made sure that we improved that whole publication, and you know. The comics themselves were well received in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, and we wanted to make sure that the, novel, the the graphic albums, which are more permanent, would be satisfying and would, would have a longer longevity as well. We want people to appreciate it, we want we want to be proud of, the, of what we're doing.
1: Well, I think in our the original PW review, it says something about it being a kind of an instant classic. So you guys are working hard to make sure that's the case. The classic kind of just sticks around. We're hoping. And you're still <laughs> here. So uh, what we're talking from the late '80s when I discovered it to now. So a new edition out. Um, I'm, I'm all can't, I can't wait for now the next volume to come out. Uh, so this is really great. I want to thank you both for being on more to come. Okay,
3: you're very thank welcome. You. Thank you thank for you. having us. You bet. Thank you.
0: Yeah, and I have I have just one brief for you. This is not I don't not the briefs, it's the brief singular, but it's an interesting enough brief that I I think it merits discussion. Um this is something I've never seen happen before. <laughs> but a uh manga is ending after its ending. Oops. So Gintama is a well-known manga. It runs in Weekly Jump, which is a very prestigious comics magazine in japan and uh jintama creator hidaki surachi wrote a one-page letter to his fans explaining a very embarrassing situation Mega will continue to come out uh regularly on his website because he told the magazine uh about six months ago that uh, he was going to be wrapping the book up now because you have to give them six months advanced time so they can plan and then he got to what should have been the end and was like wait my story's not over and the magazine was like i'm sorry we've already booked your space so i mean i'm sure that it will be coming out in book format collected but in the meanwhile people wanting their weekly dose will have to go on their website because oops i accidentally can't end my manga there you go (laughs) complicated oh dear all right well uh Congrats to him for being honest enough with himself to realize that his work was not over. uh, And I'm sure that his fans will be glad to see more of it in whatever format they can. And that wraps us up for this week. All right. There will be more to come. Mm